Good Wednesday afternoon from Freight Alley. All you truckers around the uh, Mid-South, be careful, brothers. Storms, tornadoes, all kinds of crap happening. In yeah, the weather's mid-south. been bad. That I-81 crash, did you see that? That was awful, man. That was, was crazy. You see that, that guy insane. just jump out of the way at the last second? I think so, and I, I hope t- he got out of the way. That was that in-cab video that we saw. Yeah, that was insane, man. Absolutely Let's take a crazy. dark turn, though. Let's take a biological Let's turn. go the other way. Do you want to see how a truck's digestive system works? Uh, we're talking a truck, not like a truck driver, Let's right? Let's take a look here. Okay. Look at that. See? Backs it up. I think that's cotton that we're looking at right here. I thought those Backs were like extra large Backs up the cotton, goes right, in the, uh, goes right in the, the airplane in the chute. God, throw some red sauce on there. This dude. is like this is an interesting technique. You're going to see what happens right here when he pulls forward. There you go. Look, there you got the little rabbit poops falling out of its butt. Boom. What just happened Boom. there, man? Boom. Cotton, well, so I was at, online. I was People were pointing out, like, what is this? I, that, to me, from afar, it looked like concrete or something. Turns out that what you're looking at there is cotton wrapped in those bales. And I guess when he lifts it up, it pulls the cotton apart, and it falls perfectly like that. And now he's going to back up again and stick it right into his back. Why does it have to be that way instead of the other way? Oh, I have no idea. Okay. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. Can't answer oh. questions like that. <laughs> Thank you, you a farming logistics major on here to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> got one more thing to show you. may see okay. the logo on that little meme there. Take a look at this. Back the truck up. Coming soon. Try to announce. Yeah. We've hired our uh, first three content creators for it. Michael Vincent, aside from like myself and, and you as well. Yeah. Three veteran truck drivers. Yeah. Who we got? Three veteran truck drivers. Yeah. You'll find out. I'll oh, yeah. Oh, I know who they soon. are. I we thought you were going to announce them. Three veteran truck drivers. Okay. Who better to tell the story of freight in the way that we want to tell it None. than the men and women who None. are actually moving America? None better. None better. Going to be kick-ass guys driving it. Mid-April, keep an eye on it. Some of the social feeds are already live and active. By the way, Self came up with this video. Let's take, let's take a look here. Oh, Richard. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. All right. <laughs> we got one more thing to get to. Speaking of getting smacked, speaking of getting smacked, take a look at this accident. Ooh, ooh, yeah. This guy, T, look at this pedestrian, man. This guy go, better go play a lottery. Oh. So it, this guy went right through the intersection. He blew through the red light, hits the other car. It goes, look, look at that white look at car. That. that car's now <laughs> on the hood of the white car right there. That's insane. It's absolutely unbelievable. I bet that pedestrian's digestive system sped up real fast. I think he did. He probably looked like that truck, man, putting cotton out <laughs> his underwear. Need a new cotton underwear. Hey, let's tip the band. We got guests in studio, so we'll get right to them. Looking for a new adventure? Take the next step on your career journey. Always. With AIT Worldwide Logistics, when you join their growing team, you'll collaborate with expert colleagues around the world to create innovative solutions backed by world-class customer service. If you're ready to push the supply chain envelope, your next adventure is waiting. Visit the career section at Tell em, Dude. Hey, go to AITWorldwide.com and learn more and apply today, immediately after the show, though. Hey, you yeah. want to talk entertainment logistics? I, th- I love entertainment logistics. I do, too. Let's talk to Phil Highland and Steve Bedford from Steam Logistics. They are right here in studio with us right now. They took a quick walk down the street. And, gentlemen, right across the street from us here at Freight Alley, I see your building is really coming along. Oh, yeah. They're blowing, they're blowing that thing apart. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be a beautiful building. Real nice. Yeah. I would still be in traffic if we were in Hollywood waiting to get here. So <laughs> I, that's what I love about Chattanooga. It's Freight Row. I, it, it was like a five-minute walk. From our office down here to the studio, so right across the street, like, no know. stress, no stress anymore. That's why we left Hollywood. Yeah, G- gentlemen, introduce. Are you wait? You're both from Hollywood. Introduce yourself to our lovely audience. We'll start with you, uh, Steve. I'm Steve in Bedford. I'm 
born and raised here in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and me and Freight Alley, and Freight Ways. Yeah. yeah, I'm Phil Highland. I'm from uh, Steam Logistics. I'm from Hollywood, California, and uh, came to chat in 2020. There you go, man. Beautiful stuff. You know, we walk similar roads, as you mentioned. I used to work in the music industry, used to be out in Hollywood, and you made a post recently talking about your past working in entertainment logistics, and I was like, man, he's right down the street. You have to come down the studio, and you said you'd bring Steve with you, then I was looking at Steve's background. He's involved with the Chattanooga hip-hop meetup and all that stuff, so... It's an obvious synergy for a uh, segment. Tell us a little bit about entertainment logistics. Uh, what, what, what were you doing in that field back in the day? Well, not too long ago in 2020, I was at Warner Brothers. I was moving a lot of props. And kind of what happened in that business, you're not just moving the movie props or cameras, lenses, lighting equipment. But the studios got into a habit of saving all the props from a movie that just wrapped. And then Comic-Con kind of blew up. Everyone wanted to see the original Superman costume, the Batman costumes. So I got heavily involved in shipping that all around the world as Comic-Cons became more and more popular. Yeah, so when you're shipping these things around here, what kind of, what kind of uh, I mean, there's got to be all kinds of insurance and all kinds of that type of stuff that is going on with well, what, with makes, it what, what makes, makes it unique? What makes entertainment logistics unique? You know, it's like uh, everything's hands-on. Everything had to be shipped yesterday. Everything's, you know... Immediate, immediate, immediate. I need 12 pink elephant, elephants in Egypt right now. No one has these pink elephants. Where do you get them? How do you get them on the plane? How do you get their customs paperwork done? It's, it's that kind of craziness. You know, you want green M&Ms, pink elephants. <laughs> I want them now or someone's going to get fired. It's every day. So that's how it's unique. How do you pick up clients in that? Because that's so specialized, right? It's not like, uh, you know, you're, you're selling droyage right now, so there's a lot of different customers you can go to. But for this field, it seems like there's probably not that many players doing it, right? Right. I mean, it's a niche market, but, I mean, that, that market's there. A lot of people forget, like, the studios are really, um, it's almost like the military. They make their own ordinance. They make their own props, sets. They get the pink elephants. They separate, you know, the green M&Ms. And... You figure there's, there's many studios in town. So a lot of these studios have been around since the 1920s. They've got, Warner Brothers had the one and only lasting logistics departments on the studio lot. That's a little known fact. I do know that Netflix has one now. So people are getting a little more savvy. It's like, hey, we need logistics departments within the studio because you can't just willy-nilly have people shipping all a bunch of stuff out because we know how crazy the market is, too. It's a volatile market. You're going to pay, you know, hand over fist for stuff. Yeah, you know, in logistics, you run across all kinds of crazy stories. you got customers and people that have been in business forever and still don't seem to understand how it works. Dealing with artist types like, say, Steven, right, who doesn't understand. They want it yesterday. They want it right now. They're very particular. You said green M&Ms. I want smaller bread, uh, you know, all that other type of stuff. What are some of the crazy stories from there? You got any? I've got one. I had a, you know, a director who had just finished a big movie in Hollywood. He and his family took a vacation with their little kids to Bora Bora, and they forgot to ship the kids' toys. They had a bunch of, like, unicorns and little horses and, like, farm sets in a box. Hey, we needed some Bora Bora. The kids got to play with it. So, you know, we figured, yeah, like, what do you think? UPS, check it out. Do they ship to Bora Bora? Yes, they do. But you can get it to, like, Honolulu, then you can get it down to the islands, and then it turns into a situation where, like, there's this guy named Frank, and he has an ultralight, and if he's in the mood, he might wind up the ultralight and take your box of unicorns and farm toys for the kids 
and maybe fly over to Bora Bora. <laughs> so that took about three weeks. Vacation's over. They came back, super pissed off. Epic fail. But what do you want? What do you want from me? What do you want from me? But we, look, we so we heard all the stories during like the pandemic of Tom Cruise freaking out on staffers for not wearing masks and whatnot because it would yeah. shut down yeah. production. We saw Christian Bale on that Terminator set, da 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 da, with the lights and all that kind of stuff. What happens when there are scripts in this business? Because you could be solely responsible by not bringing a, a set element or something of shutting down production on a major motion picture for X amount of days or weeks. That doesn't, I mean, look, when it comes down to that, when you know it's like mission critical, I mean, at that point, you've either chartered an airplane, you've worked with all your agents and, uh, you know, fixers in country to get the stuff through. Does that happen once in a while? But we've been pretty successful in making big time deliveries. So I'm, I'm pretty, and, there, and hey, all my WP, uh, WB people looking out, they're still doing that today. You know, every day they're in there slogging it out. Well, Steve, you, you know a little bit about uh, entertainment logistics, too, at the Chattanooga Hip Hop Summit. What's that, and how would you get involved with it? Um, I mean, generally, I've, I've been involved with the, the hip hop community here since, like, basically, I was born into it. So when the Chattanooga Hip Hop Summit got on my radar, I'm like, I got to be involved. So I just kind of hit up the organizer. Shout out to Sammy Lodemilk, uh, Take Goes Home. Shout out to him, and shout out to a lot of different people and different figures in the hip hop community that just came together. So it's been a cool experience just like watching us try to solve this problem of how can we amplify all of these artists and how can we amplify the ecosystem of hip hop. So how, how do you apply those experiences to what you're doing right now at, at Steam Logistics? How do those mm -hmm. translate to like putting that together, the hip hop experience? For me, hip -hop yeah. For me, I've been, only been in logistics uh, since last year. So this is a new industry for me. But what I've been learning is like everything has to be timely. Everything is about communication. And, you know, you got to meet up. So like using like meetings and uh, intentful communication to uh, solve problems. That's, that's one thing that I've learned in the world of logistics that I take into entertainment. Yeah. So Steve Cox pulls you guys aside and says, all right, Phil. All right, Steve, <laughs> you need to start the Steam Logistics Band. What do you guys sound like? Let's go. What are, what are we waiting for? We got the studio. Yeah, we can we make got, a video right now. Walk down here, Steve. Come on. What, 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 what do you sound like? What's, what's yeah, the genre? What are we doing? Is it what's lounge? the genre going to be? What do y'all want? We Steve, can do it all. Steve Cox. It's probably going to be hard beats. It's going to have a real edgy, edgy vibe. No holds barred. You know, it's probably like Metallica meets, uh, what do you think, like Biggie Smalls or yeah, something? I can see Steve Cox dropping a verse. I can yeah, see him dropping a verse. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so speaking of that, what was what do you think was like the most challenging aspect of being on that entertainment side of logistics? I mean, we know the deadlines, we know the stress, we know the money involved, but what was the biggest challenge you had to overcome? I think, you know, when you do big global rollouts, like we did the Friends 25th anniversary a few years ago, and you know, like when you're doing huge rollouts, we were literally shipping the Friends Central Perk set to the top of the Burj Khalifa, the Empire State Building, uh, Willis Tower, all over the world. And if you miss those events, so if you miss setting that stage up like this, you lose that impact and there's a lot of money on the line. There's already stuff preset. So a lot of that stuff takes intense focus. Like my old office, it's a very quiet environment. The steam environment now is super pumped up. So there's, there's differences. I mean, you're ultra focused on this, this project freight. And then when the event's over, you move on to the next one. But 
Uh, you know, do things go wrong? Things go wrong, sure. But you, you can always kind of work something out. That's why we do a lot of duplications. We make duplicate sets. We'll advance stuff. We'll send two. You know, we're, we're prepared. You know, it's not our first day at the rodeo. Yeah, I was going to ask that if it was like a leapfrogging type of thing because, you know, trying to get that thing broken down and then move to a new city overnight, like, yeah. you know, turn the page doesn't sound like it's going to happen, if, right? If you've done rock and roll, you know, you probably have two sets and you are leapfrogging. So yeah. we'll do that same thing. It's like we're going to make sure we can make that date and we just keep pushing it. Well, you're in drayage sales now, right? So what's more action-packed, uh, Hollywood or dealing with uh, the drayage community over at Steam? Oh, my God. I, I want to stay here for the rest of the day. It's so serene. My, my stress level, drayage is not for the faint-hearted. It is like going to battle every day. And Stephen and I started last year selling dray in the crazy market where your flat screen was stuck out, you know, off the shores of L.A. And you, where's my flat screen? Where's my flat screen? Where are the guys trying to pull it out for you? So it has been an intense uh, opportunity for both of us to really learn this segment of the business. I never knew it was called drayage. My, my freight guys always say, hey, Phil, do you want inland delivery? I'm like, what do you mean do I want inland? Oh, what, I want this stuff to sit at the port? Of course, I'm, I want in that inland delivery. How do I get my stuff? Yeah. And now I'm Joey's call, not playing the port of LA. It's strange. I'll just pick it up at the, at the ship. I'll just be done. Yeah, so, you know, you, we learn all this stuff. I mean, dredge is like this antiquated word, but, I mean, it's cool. It's, it's really, like, at my stage of my career, I've learned so much at Steam. I love, I love the vibe there. It's super bright, great people. We got a great mix of folks from all different backgrounds, so I'm, I'm digging it. Well, Steve, you mentioned that you're relatively new starting, I believe you said, last summer. And if I also understand correctly, Phil's a bit of a, a mentor to you. How does that program work over at Steam? I mean, yeah, like when I first got to Steam, I gravitated to Phil off top just because like his eccentric personality, but then like, I found out like like he really know his stuff. He know what he's talking about as far as logistics and things like that. So for me, I just gravitate to the OGs in the game. You know what I mean? But let me say this. He the way he came into the interview, he has a marketing background. He's done social media for NASCAR. It's like mutual attraction society. It's like, yeah, I'm OG, I've been around for a minute. But he he's the next generation. So I, that's what I like about what Steam is doing. It's like We've got, you know, we got the next generation of logistics people coming up, and there's just a cool culture happening over there. And Stephen is the reason; he's he's part of that 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 pie we got going on. There, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't thought you were going to say this. that's. It's very cool. So we're looking at the drage right now. You've been in it for a year. You came into a hot bin. So what is what is the market looking like right now? Is, you, is it getting easier, or are things just as crazy as ever? What's going on? No, I mean, I don't, it's not getting any easier. You would think it would get easier. It's just like we're working on all the East Coast ports. I swear to God, I, the fact that I even have hair right now is a freaking <laughs> miracle. I was losing it about an hour ago at my yeah. desk. We were literally, you know, building DOs, sending stuff out, truckers falling off. I don't want to go into this port because it's too much of a problem. So it, it's congested, and I think all of our colleagues, everyone in logistics, we're all feeling the same thing. It's just brutal, man. It's like, you gotta like suit up and show up, man. It's game on, you know, for real. 
<laughs> uh, it's funny you mention that. I remember in 2009 when I was working for FedEx and doing with, with air freight. Actually, I was so stressed out. I, like, there was a hole in my beard. Like, a, a circular hole just stopped growing in my beard. I was that, <laughs> I was that stressed out from this game. Cigarettes, like, you're smoking yeah. so much, you don't even know where to put the cigarette don't anymore. There's just a hole in here now. Yeah. Like a... <laughs> yeah. It, you know what? It's at that level right now. I'm sure you guys know this, man. It is at that level. I mean, it's, it's at a pace, man. It is at well, We wanted pace. to ask you that. And you, you might not be seeing this necessarily in Dre just yet because of the backlog. But, mm-hmm. are, but in the greater OTR market, we're starting to see a lot of softening, right? We're starting to see a lot of softening right now. Are you seeing similar in Dre? What's going on in your market? No, Dreage is super intense. You know, so everyone shifted from L.A. Long Beach when that was a you-know-what show uh, earlier in the, this year and in last year. And then, oh, well, let's just swing over to Savannah and Charleston. That should be really, you know, no problem. Game over, people. It's all tapped out right now. But, you know, we're, like I said, every day you just have to dig in. We're, we're working up in Canada today. We're up, working up in Port of Montreal. It's like, okay, here we, you know, wherever. We'll pull it. <laughs> Yeah, so you're seeing the volumes move from port to port. You're just talking about it from the West Coast to the, to the East Coast going on there. What are, you, what are you seeing with, like, Shanghai, you know, shutting down, the rolling shutdowns over there, and now you got 300 ships going into Shanghai. You guys basically handle port or door-to-door, really, now, because you've got the yeah, road steam, authorities. Right? I tell you what, you got to have some steam international guys over here because they're, they're in the throes of it, too. Um, yeah, I mean, we're just, we're all affected by that. You know, Chinese New Year, Chinese COVID shutdowns. Um, you know, we could talk for a long time about this whole thing. How much time we got? <laughs> <laughs> I guess my last question is, what are you liking better now? Are you liking, did you like the Hollywood world? Is that calling to you? Or are you like, you know what, I'm starting to get this drage into my blood? I had no idea where Chattanooga was. I didn't know they called it Dreyage. You called it inland delivery. That's all I knew. 2020 was a game changer for me and for everybody else. I was booking freight loads from my kitchen counter in Hollywood for Warner Brothers. And uh, I was just kind of like, I don't know how long this is going to be sustainable. Uh, Had a relative who lived in a place called Chattanooga. My wife found a house. She bought it. I never saw it. I'm here now. I don't know what's happening. I don't know where I am. I need help. Hey, hey, welcome to the club. I came, you know, I came from Boston. I didn't know this place from Timbuktu. Boston. What I did know was that Freight Alley yeah. was where it's happening, and Freight Waves was where it was happening for me, like you knew for Steam. They're going to be our next-door neighbors over there. They're hiring an S-load of people. If you want to join mm-hmm. a great team, go over Come to Steam. On, they Come also have cool up. yellow yo-yos, like this Come one that they, they gave me. I don't really know how to yo-yo, but <laughs> I will practice now that I have this yellow yo-yo right here. Little hero cam hey, on the dinner. yo-yo. Yeah. Come on, close up on the yo-yo. Thank you. <laughs> Between one oh, no. or something here. That cat grass is banned on what the truck. <laughs> it's here now. That cat grass is completely banned on this show. Let's, I don't know where talk. you found let's that. Let's talk, like between two ferns. <laughs> get that, that cat grass, a new agent. Get it off my set. <laughs> Guys, you've overstayed. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us. I broke it. I broke oh, it. Oh, there thanks. it is. It wasn't me. It was Can't the guest. Blame it on us. Us. <laughs> thanks for joining us. On, we You're got welcome. it on camera. Thank Bye. you for joining us on the show. One name. Appreciate y'all for having us. We appreciate it. Take care, guys. <laughs> the cat grass is Bob gone. Bob Bortner from Mid-Atlantic Territory Manager over at IMI Products. Before we get ourselves in too much trouble over here, and maybe we'll figure out how to make you some uh, fuel savings. Hey, Bob, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. How you guys doing? Uh, you know, I, in the green room, I can kind of see you have a preview window. I saw you holding up a truck. What truck did you have in your hand there? <laughs> 
I did. I, I didn't want to be left out. So we have our own. Ooh. Ooh. Nice trail. IMI truck. I like it. Did you get that from yeah. my first gear? From who? From my first gear. I'm not sure. I'm oh. not sure where it came from. Oh, cool. Well, it's a nice looking truck. We like it. It fits right in with our desk. So uh, you're, you're here with us. How did you get so into wheels and tires, though, before we jump into all this? What, what, what attracted you to the field? It's kind of strange. It's a weird story. When I got out of college, I had a health and phys ed degree, and I moved home, and a friend of mine had an opportunity to work for a mobile heavy truck alignment company, which I took, and that was in 94, I believe, and I've been in the industry ever since, never used my health and phys ed degree, and just kind of got into it, loved it, and here we are. Excellent stuff, Bob. Let's go through a little bit of history of fuel prices here, right? Haven't they just been going just like straight up forever? Yeah. Well, if you can see the the graph. There it is. So this is yeah, this is a 30-year historical on diesel prices. So as you can see, way back in 95 into 2000, you know, kind of normal, fairly low. And then you see it start to escalate. And then in 2008. We all know what happened at that time frame. Well, that's, you know, it was a big spike up and down. But now, as you can see at the very end there, guess where we are? An all-time high. And from the last time we talked, when I was on, was in September. Uh, from that point till today, diesel was going up $1.74 per gallon. The average price today is five twelve. It, it it's wild to look at. You know, now when most people think about fuel consumption, they think about it by the mile. Cars even list it by the mile. Trucks list fuel consumption by the mile. But is that the number one factor in determining uh, fuel efficiency and, and savings? No. So the way to look at this, the most important factor in fuel for a tractor trailer, a car, whatever, is actually the driver. They have more effect on positive gains or negative gains than, than anything else you can do with the tractor trailer. So what fleets are doing or really starting to do now that there's a focus on increasing fuel is driver training, you know, really kind of changing their habits. Some of the worst things you can do are braking excessively pumping the pedal to get up to speed. You want to do it in a slow, gradual way. Two of the other big things are you want to eliminate, if at all possible, any sort of idle time. Idle time will, will, will kill your fuel and, and what you're going to get miles per gallon wise. And you want to utilize cruise control as much as you can. You know, the whole idea is to get the truck going down the road as straight as possible with as least amount of rolling resistance. And the driver has a large factor in that. Yeah. And then Bob, you, you've got the, the wind resistance and we've seen the trucks change over yep. the years with all the, the skirts and the foils and so on. Can you give us a little bit of a history on that and where that started? Absolutely. So I don't know the exact year, but let's just say, let's go back 20 years or so. When I first remember seeing fuel saving solutions and or aerodynamic devices on a tractor trailer. Where was the first part of that rig that they went to? It was the trailer. 
all of the beginning devices went on the trailer. I remember the boat tails, which come out the back, the side skirting, and a lot of the other devices and apparatus went on the trailer. Well, why is that? The reason for that is fuel is consumed 50% from the trailer axle, 30% from the drive tire axle, and lastly, 20% from the steer axle. So when you're trying to make a vehicle aerodynamic and the least amount of rolling resistance, you literally should start from the trailer and move forward. But a lot of people in our industry over the years have gone the exact opposite. They'll, they'll do things on that steer axle or the drive axle and the trailer is neglected when it should actually be the, the other way around. So that's the resistance. Where and how is the fuel consumed on the truck, though? That right there. That's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Fuel consumption on the tractor trailer, 50% trailer axle, 30% drive axle, and, and steer axle is 20%. So half the fuel that is consumed throughout a day on a tractor trailer is coming from those trailer tires. Mm. Yeah. That's why you don't have the aerodynamics and things to keep that vehicle going down the road as straight as possible and as aerodynamic as possible. I appreciate that. I was just trying to clarify how associated they were and, and clearly they okay. are. Um, different types of fuel saving devices though. How have those evolved over the past 25 years? Well, you can see there's so many different apparatuses, devices and fuel saving solutions out there now. And you know, they have evolved greatly. When they first came out, they were kind of clunky. They didn't, you know, they didn't fit quite right. But the manufacturers of these devices and solutions spend a lot of time in research and development, and they want to get this right. They want to make sure that the fleet uh, is going to see the benefits when they put these on. So you kind of break that down. This is just a little bit of a, we don't have to get too far into this, but what a fleet would look at is the cost of the fuel saving solution and then how long the payback time would be. And that way they can get their ROI. So when you look at a lot of fleets, they may recycle their trucks every five years, some a little bit sooner, some a little bit later. So if there are some devices on there that take that long to get an ROI, you would not want to use them. And this kind of gives you a breakdown of what some of the, uh, the different apparatuses are and what the potential cost is versus the payback and how long it may take. So, you know, fleets are, um, there is some hesitancy to mm -hmm. adopt some of the, the devices and things that are out there now. So now, and in 2008, when diesel prices were crazy, this is when fleets really start to look. They really should be looking the entire time. But now that fuel is, yeah. is the highest it's ever been, it's right, right on top of mind. Yeah, people tend to have a very short uh, memory, even in, in those fleets. Looking at that list there, the thing that surprises me the most is that when you look at the uh, low rolling resistance dual size tires and stuff, it's unknown. Does that mean that they're not that effective or there's some other device that actually helps that? Because you said, I think that those rear tires were actually the ones that were sucking the fuel the most, right? The rear tires are extremely important. And the reason that the data is a little 
is unavailable or skewed on this is because um, they've had so many different iterations of low rolling resistance tires. When they first came out, it was hard to kind of see if you gained fuel because the tire tread was wearing down so quick. Now, all the major manufacturers have made tires much better, and these low-rolling resistance tires, they're getting fuel gains, and they're lasting longer. Now, wide-base drive tires, they definitely have a fuel a fuel gain, but they're not for every fleet. The other thing about wide-base drive tires is uh, they will actually take your weight of your truck down because a lot of the wide-base are aluminum, and... If you have a, a regular dual tractor trailer with steel wheels and there's a lot more weight than it is with the four aluminum from the wide base drive. But what's really unique about the, the, the tires is there's an, a, a hidden way to gain fuel. So uh, the Technology Maintenance Council, American Trucking Association, just had their convention in Orlando, Florida, and we were there. They put out recommended practices regularly on different types of things within the trucking industry. And a recent one is the benefits of balancing all wheel position across a tractor trailer, the trailer tires, the drives, as well as the steers. And the study was done, uh, two different uh, studies and tests, and it was a 2% fuel increase when all wheel positions were balanced across that tractor trailer. So, the tires are a huge part of this it, with all the other aero devices that you're that you're seeing now on the fleets. Very interesting. Hey, Bob, thank you for Thanks for all the information. People who want to hear more about these fuel savings and get your guidance, where should we send them to? Sure. Um, www.imiproducts.com. And just real quick, a fuel evaluation is, is something that can be extremely difficult for these mm -hmm. fleets. There's a lot of variables. We have a dashboard that we have made that can help with a lot of, you know, filtering out what is good information and bad to do a fuel evaluation. Uh, if it's something that a fleet is interested in, they can sure. go to www.imiproducts backslash what to truck. Before we go, I wanted to say congratulations to you gentlemen and your team for the nomination for best podcast for the Neil Awards. Great oh. job. And uh, keep up the good work, gentlemen. Thank you, sir. Hey, thank, thank you, Bob. You. I'll give you a little, little cowbell for that and a little cowbell for ourselves. Take care, sir. Right Have a great day. Uh, I was going to say weekend, but it's only Wednesday. Have a great Wednesday. Eh. Yeah, take care, gentlemen. Take it easy. Hey, Michael Vincent, did you know that yes, Forbes sir. just named AIT Logistics as one of America's best mid-sized employers for 2022? It's true. In fact, AIT is the number one employer in the transportation logistics category. Boost your job satisfaction. Regain that sense of purpose you lost so long oh ago, my Michael gosh, Vincent. And open so your career opportunities. It's a great resignation. Whole big world out there. Visit the career section on Talent Dude. <laughs> go to AITWorldwide.com. Learn more. Apply today right after Come this on, show. Come on. Go to AIT. Leave me here. Leave Just me go, up here alone. Go to AIT. I'm going to AIT. Oh, don't go to AIT. Well, you, all of you go to AIT. He's my co-host. I don't want him to go to AIT. Well, I can do that right on the computer, right? Yeah. <laughs> David Ross is here. He's the chief strategy officer over at Ascent. And we're going to hit on a couple really important issues from Mexican trade to what's going on at the ILWU and even the changing role of 3PLs. But David, before we even get into all that, I see that you're an artist on your trees and I see your last name, David Ross. You're not related to Bob at all. Uncle Bob. Uh, no, no, not really. <laughs> Uncle Bob. <laughs> what do you paint if it's not tiny, happy trees? Uh, big, sad trees, um, but mainly uh, abstract and acrylic. 
<laughs> well, oh, nice. I like it. I like it. I, sometimes you may be painting that border down in Mexico, right? Let's paint a picture about U.S.-Mexico trade. What's good south of the border right now? Lots of activity popping off down in Mexico. Um, you know, what's happened to supply chains. And you know, so my prior life, I was an analyst on Wall Street for 20 years at Stiefel. And we were writing ever since the initial uh, port lockouts in 2002 about the possibility of nearshoring, reshoring, uh, some call it next shoring, um, you know, essentially reversing the globalization trend or changing the globalization trend to include regionalization of supply chains. And Mexico for the U.S., uh, which is one of the largest consumer bases in the world, is a very attractive option. And it's something that over the years and through different cycles was discussed and talked about, but never really acted upon because those cycles, those disruptions, whether they were a volcanic ash cloud or an earthquake, tsunami or a port issue, typically it was only a 12-month thing. And by the time people started talking about it, supply chains were back to normal, prices were back down, and there was no real impetus to change. The last two years have been a, a tough two years. Not only has it lasted longer than a lot of those other disruptions that we've seen over the past couple of decades, but the impact has been much more severe. Prices have spiked much greater. Uh, and, and recently, you kind of add fuel on top of that to kick your dog while, while you're down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that's forcing the conversations into action. And, you know, at Ascent, we've been in Mexico for over 10 years, and we're expanding very quickly over the next 18 months to build up an even stronger footprint down there to help the clients that we have that are expanding into Mexico as an alternative source uh, to Asia and in, in some to the U.S., but mainly in that north-south corridor, U.S., Canada, Mexico, I think there's going to be very strong uh, strong growth in, in container volumes, load growth over the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, so as you, as you said, David, was, you know, the, the, things happen and we tend to forget it. We talk about it, and by the time we're done talking about it, it's over, and we forget about it, and we move on. This is certainly not the case. How has this, you know, call to action uh, changed the role of 3PLs over the last couple of years? Well, really, it's, it's changed the role into execution, you know, because for a while it was, hey, can we do it? And then they might have a one board presentation and then things resolve themselves and then they stick that presentation away and they don't talk about it for five or six years, like you mentioned. Um, Now that they're serious about it, they're saying, "Okay, well, who can execute? Are you in Mexico? Who do you know in Mexico? What's your cross-border solution? Do you have assets? Uh, What modes do you provide? Um, How do you connect the dots? And, And really, that's where, you know, you know, as a 3PL partner, you need to be where your customer wants to go and you need to have uh, advice and value that will help them make their business better. If they want to open a plant in Mexico, okay, where do you open it up? How does transportation work in and out of the plant? What are your lead times? What are your costs? How does that compare to sourcing from Asia, from, you know, Africa, from Europe, any of the other alternative sources you could look at? Um, but being so close to the U.S., and especially with the changes in supply chains with e-commerce uh, essentially speeding up supply chains, you want to be closer to the customer and you want to have more options um, you know, to how to get there. Summertime's coming up. July 1st is coming up. And a uh, big, big uh, red flag on our radar is that ILWU contract that mm-hmm. is expiring. That is the last thing we need right now is, is shutdowns at the uh, ports. What's going on with that situation? So is that a 
wrestling championship belt in the middle of you two there, the what the truck. <laughs> this is a podcast championship belt is. from our friends at Trophy Smack. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's an Be- interesting Because answer. the ILWU <laughs> kind of sounds like an offshoot of the ECW or WWF. Sure. Or, you know, <laughs> all those ones. And so I'm thinking if we get a resolution before July 1st, somebody should get that belt as the uh, you know official ILWU champion. Um, really, this is something that, again, is um, – a potential risk of making a bad situation worse. And just as we're getting some reprieve and the congestion and the delay times and the ships floating out at sea off the West Coast ports has been declining over the past couple of months, uh, three months from now, there's the possibility of a, probably not a lockout, more of a, a slowdown, similar to what we experienced in 2014 and 2015, uh, which could just make the congestion worsen again, make these supply chain issues last a little bit longer. Um, you know, the rate reprieve that shippers are hoping for, you know, if there's you know, some significant disruptions on the West Coast sports, because you know, the ILWU employs you know, 22,000 workers, I think are part of that contract across 29 ports, but you know, over 70% of them are at LA and Long Beach. Mm-hmm. And that's really the focus and, and the pitch points. Um, they're demanding more money. They're demanding you know, less adoption of technology, which seems counter to how the world's been moving. But that's been an issue going back to 2002. And you look back in 2002, the dock workers were fighting electronic communication. So electronic documents or information that could easily be electronically transmitted um, instead of more or less kind of emailed to somebody or downloaded by somebody and manually entered that, that was what they were objecting to. Uh, They wanted to manually enter something that easily could have been electronically exchanged. And, it's crazy, Dave. I mean, if, if, if that goes through, aren't we just setting ourselves up for another uh, issue in the future? We've got to move forward. Yes. Yeah. And there's always a lot of moving parts. And, you know, the interesting thing is the ILWU probably has its strongest case in a while given that, you know, when everybody else it was uh, you know, working from their basement at home and afraid to go back to work for years, these guys were forced to go out and they were working every day so that we could keep supply chains moving so mm. that stuff could get delivered to their homes. And you've got a union-friendly administration and they're just seeing this as a huge opportunity that, hey, we've yeah. sacrificed for two years. We've kept this economy going through a pandemic. You guys owe us. And, um, you know, I was talking to somebody recently who said that they're initial proposal was a double digit annual wage increase over the life of the deal uh, Whoa, for wow. a five plus scale. year period. That could escalate quickly. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> David, if, if I'm a shipper right now, or if I service supports, this is keeping me up at night, worrying about this issue. Uh, you listener, you're being kept up at night. You need to talk to David. Where should I send them to? Find some good music that can, um, <laughs> you know, put you to sleep. <laughs> but, uh, you know. Uh, otherwise, my email is simply david.ross at ascentlogistics.com. You could check us out at uh, ascentlogistics.com and happy to help everybody sleep through the night, move freight through the port, uh, over the air. Any, any way you need to move it, we can do it. Thanks, Excellent. David. Thanks for all these insights today. We appreciate them. Thank you very much. Take Thanks, care. David. Hey, our next guest, you might yeah. know him as uh, the Huntsman over on Twitter. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Is he on? I know him as Ross Kennedy. Ro- oh, I do. He's is that right his there. real name? No, Ross. Ross, who are you pissed off at today? I mean, everybody, pretty much. <laughs> uh, it, it keeps things really, really simple if I don't have to pick and choose. 
Last time we <laughs> talked, we didn't know how easy we had it. We were just complaining about congestion at the West Coast ports, right? Yeah, rates were high. We, did, we didn't realize that there would be this war happening. We didn't realize that there would be these shortages. Mm. We didn't realize fuel would spike as high as it did. And we didn't realize that concurrently, the floor would start falling out of the trucking market as well. This year... Uh, despite the national, you know, mainstream media headlines not being focusing on supply chain, this year is much more challenging than 2021 already. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd have to say so. It's it's uh, we're certainly not at the end of the tail of all of this. Um, it's been it's been an unusual it's been an unusual ride. I think every you know every metric or, or indicator that we would have looked at over the last 30 years to say hey what is the next six months or what's the next 12 months going to look like uh we can pretty much just throw all this out the window at this point you know we're going from e enormous uh you know pull demand with stimulus with uh you know people just buying and buying and buying and you know uh, you and your previous guests you know mr ross spoke about the uh the issues at los angeles and long beach and how that congestion was and now we're in a situation where we're seeing demand destruction. Uh, you know, there's not been more stimulus. Things are starting to level off. Uh, and now we're starting to see, you know, reduction in demand on trucks. Uh, so we, we've gone very quickly, I think, from from one end of the uh, one end of the continuum to another. So uh, very difficult environment, I think, for supply chain people to plan for. And uh, certainly with the war in, uh, you know, in, in Ukraine with with Russia, you're talking about an enormously important part of the world for food and energy supply chains. And uh, sometimes those effects may not be felt immediately, uh, but they certainly will be felt at some point. Let's talk about that a little bit is, you know, everybody knows that, um, well, not everybody, but I mean, most of us understand that supply chains are incredibly important for war. Can you, uh, to, to victory in war, right? I mean, you, you can win yeah. battles, but you win the war with logistics. Can you speak to that a little bit? Why is it just that important? Well, we're seeing this in, in Russia and Ukraine. You're, you're talking about a country in Russia that's got a, a pretty significant amount of uh, materiel that they've stockpiled throughout their country. They are, but the issue is, is that if, if uh, you know, as big as Russia is, if you've got, uh, if you've got missiles or if you've got tanks or, or armored vehicles or even supplies of food and fuel uh, dislocated within such a massive country, uh, it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. You know, you see a heavy amount of train use. Uh, to move material from one end of Russia to another to prosecute this war. Uh, but at the end of the day, you had 600,000 Ukrainians uh, as a defensive force uh, with a pretty robust ground capability in particular. Mm -hmm. You've seen NATO, uh, you know, some NATO countries reinforce with, uh, you know, your javelins and stingers and things like that that can be used to push back against the armor. And so the ability to constantly throw, you know, the, these 200,000 men that Russia had built up, plus all of the supporting equipment, just continue throwing them at the fight. Uh, you've got to have a, a pretty enormous baggage train behind them pushing, you know, pushing them forward constantly. So we're seeing that effort really bogged down there. Uh, Russia, it sounds like, has, has to some extent abandoned its attempt to take Kiev uh, and is now really emphasizing, you know, emphasizing hard uh, sustainment replenishment of forces uh, in the east and in the south. Uh, so, again, there's still a long way to go before this thing's over. I, I don't see anybody suing for peace in the next uh, two days and, and that coming about. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really going to come down to from Ukraine and Russia's side who can basically hold out the longest as this thing grinds on.
Yeah, it's an interesting conflict, too, when you, when you think about it, because it's one of the first wars to go really viral, especially in the, that first week, oh, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's skewed people, a lot of people's perception, and they think that this is something that is going to be resolved like overnight, or it's just a quick show of force or something like that, where in reality, this is a longstanding conflict that we might be in for the long haul. Now, it, with that in mind, we have to think about the disruptions mm -hmm. and how sanctions and the war are going to impact us. One of the first ones we hear a lot about is wheat. And I've, I was in a Twitter thread yesterday that was actually saying that like the 25% of world's wheat that comes from Ukraine, yeah, it's a big flashy number, but maybe not as impactful to the US, maybe more like 2%. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Like a lot of stuff with this war, I'm not exactly sure exactly which information's the right information. What's the impact at least on the food supply chain so far? Yeah, I, I, uh, I saw the same thread um, that was done. Uh, I believe it was done by an agronomist uh, out of Florida and, and talking about how uh, you know, by her math, only, you know, less than 1% of world wheat production needs to be replaced that, uh, you know, 25% uh, of exports out of Ukraine are going to be reduced. And, and really, I think that that's burying the lead. The real issue here is not, uh, available availability of existing, you know, carry, you know, what's called carry out stocks uh, of grain out of Russia and Ukraine coming out of the black sea. Yeah. That's going to, have some short-term impact uh, that, that may or may not be able to be mitigated. But what we're talking about here is that the the winter wheat crop that's in the ground right now, it's an unknown if that crop is going to get out. And if it does, if it is able to be harvested, uh, is it going to be able to get to, to, you know, A, to the grain elevators that are on the Black Sea or uh, be railed and trucked into Europe? Uh, from Russia's side, the same deal. You're talking about there's a pretty significant manpower shortage. Uh, there's an asset shortage. There's a war going on in a country that produces so much wheat. And when it gets to the, that May, June harvest season in Ukraine and southern Russia, how much of that wheat is actually going to a still be in the ground uh, and not you know, run over by tanks or people fighting? Uh, B, how much of that's actually going to be able to get to where the vessels are uh, and get out of the Black Sea? And C, you're talking about how much of that uh, the next crop uh, which is, you know, some small amount of wheat is grown in, in Ukraine and Russia, spring wheat. Uh, but now we're talking about what about the the fall planting season uh, when it's September and they're starting to go to the fields? What is going to be the impact here? We're talking about major fertilizer disruption. We're mm. talking about major chemical disruption. Uh, so what is the impact on these farmers that A, may or may not be able to harvest their wheat this spring, plant this spring's wheat, take another harvest out and then put next year's, you know, essentially next year's harvestable wheat crop out this coming fall. That's the real concern here with corn. It's the same deal. You know, corn is a spring summer crop in that part of the world, just like it is here in the United States there. In fact, their, their weather and soil is very, very similar to ours. So their planting seasons are very similar. If we, the, the nearest analogy I could say is if we had the three I states, Illinois, Indiana, and Iowa uh, absolutely just devastated uh, you know, with, with, with hundreds of thousands of troops and, and there's bombs and there's missiles and everything's going on. How likely is it that the three I states would be able to get a crop out uh, and reliably push it onto the world market? And, and that's really the best analogy to understand is we're not just talking about a, a specific, you know, splashy looking number that's easily undermined by a statistic. India is not going to produce the wheat crop that people think they are. You're yeah. talking about huge cereal disruptions in Brazil uh, you know, here in the United States, a large part of the wheat growing areas of the U.S. are in the middle of drought. So wheat is not really a fungible crop. There's not much you can switch to from a growing standpoint or a substitution standpoint with wheat. 
Uh, even with corn and soybeans and animal feed diets, you can kind of switch back and forth as long as you've got the extra aminos and vitamins that you need to balance that diet. But with wheat, you know, wheat's wheat. It's, it's kind of a one of a kind thing. So uh, I think the impact may not be shown in the next couple of months, uh, which maybe was the point of that thread on Twitter. The real impact is going to come as we get into the harvest uh, season this year and then into planting season a couple of months after that. Wow. Yeah, not a not a good picture to be looking at there. And there's other things that are there. You mentioned chemicals as well, but Ukraine, there don't, there's a raw material into the production of uh, of the chips of, of of the microchips that. Oh, well, I that mean, comes staying on food, right? you get fertilizer out of Russia. Fertilizer coming out of there, there too. as well. That is that is huge. What about the Black Sea? We talk about the Black Sea and its importance mm-hmm. there. Uh, educate us a little bit on that for people who are not familiar with that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, in general, I think most people have actually seen a map now of, of you know, Ukraine and, and southern Russia and kind of gotten an understand for, for what's going on. So the Black Sea is that giant body of water uh, right in the middle of everything. You've got, uh, you know, Georgia, you've got Turkey, you've got Russia, you've got Ukraine, uh, Bulgaria and Romania that, that are basically the border nations. The, the wild card here is the fact that Turkey is a NATO country and Turkey is responsible for enforcing the Montreux Convention. I think it's the Montreux Convention, maybe 1930. Uh, but it governs the passage to and from the Black Sea. There's only one way in, one way out, and that's through the, the, the Turkish Straits, the Bosporus, and the Dardanelles that Turkey controls. So under the Montreux Convention, that, that is an interna- it's considered sort of an international uh, right-of-way as any country's ships are allowed to pass freely through it. Uh, but naval vessels, on a, you know, so Russian or NATO naval vessels, whatever it may be, uh, you know, Turkey has the ability to say, hey, you're not allowed to come through here. The issue is, is you know, so the Black Sea is also a major uh, energy producing region. Uh, an enormous amount of, of oil and natural gas either comes out of that region on vessel, uh, particularly out of the Russian ports or goes through the pipelines of southern Russia into Ukraine and up into Europe. You've also got Turkstream 2 uh, or the Turkstream pipelines, which are, um, you know, fed by Russian natural gas fields as well. So the Caspian Sea region, the stands basically, Turkmenistan and Kazakhstan that both export going both directions. They're disrupted as well. The, the the real issue here, it got talked a little bit about, and then everybody forgot, is that when you're talking about war in a region like the Black Sea, uh, that, that's already maybe from an insurance standpoint uh, difficult to get into. In the early days of the conflict, and and you know late February, early March, there were ships being hit with with rockets. At least one major grain vessel got hit. Uh, it was either with a missile or a rocket. I can't recall which. Uh, and, and the port of Odessa is completely shut down. So. Even if all of that wheat, energy products, you know, neon, uranium, all that stuff uh, that, that comes out of that region, out of the Black Sea, through the Turkish Straits and into the world market via the Mediterranean. Now you're talking about a lot of ship owners are not going to be able to go there or they're going to refuse to go there because they can't insure their vessels. The war risk is too high and you're going to see a lot of companies say, hey, you know what? Don't send your ship in there if you do and, and something happens to the vessel. Yep. It's at risk of loss. Ross, we've now already seen that. Mining. I- I've, I've already had a couple insurance yeah. companies uh, reach out and say, yeah, uh, can you get this messaging out there when the war was first starting that that is not mm-hmm. the coverage that they have in their all risk policy. It's a completely different thing. All That's risk right. is with uh, an asterisk, of course. John mm-hmm. Conrad five has a question. We have a listener question here. We've kind of established the first part. We've established that grain fertilizer and other bulk commodity mm-hmm. ships in the Black Sea are important to the global food supply chain. So why isn't mm-hmm. NATO and the U.S. Navy not clearing mines in that region? I mean, that's a great point. That's and that's really, to me, signifies that I think a lot of the world leaders involved here 
are focusing in some way on the on, on the wrong issues, or at least they're not focusing enough on uh, these the second and third order issues that that are really, I think, going to be the story of this war. Um, you, you do have an enormous humanitarian crisis that you know, you know, what is it like a million refugees? I think have fled uh, out of Ukraine and into Europe, primarily into Poland. Uh, you've got energy and food uh, crises, which you know, which we've covered here as well. But when you're talking about the the, the enormous amount of mining activity. Uh, and that's laying of of mines in the Black Sea. There's a tale to that as well. And if nothing else, uh, some level of agreements should have been reached uh, in the sense of the the disruption, not only to because uh, you're not just talking, you know, NATO countries and, and Russia. Uh, every you know, you're talking about every flag state that's got vessels going in and out of there are going to get drawn into this. You could have a you know a cargo of of Ukrainian grain coming out of there. It gets hit by a mine, and it's owned by uh, maybe a German ship owner, and it's flagged in Panama. It's insured by a company out of the United Kingdom, and now all of these different groups are going to have to work together to say we didn't mitigate this risk, and now we have an enormous you know disaster on our hands. That you know, and I think what Captain Conrad's getting at there is that the decisions that are being made now, as far as to what involvement we we should or should not uh, have in this conflict as the West, <clears throat> we do still have an obligation, particularly the United States Navy, which has kind of been, you know, the, the one guarantor uh, of free and open international trade uh, on the open seas. Now, all of a sudden, we've said we're not going to take any role in this. Uh, we don't want to escalate the situation between Russia and NATO. And but at the same time, we're also making choices not to do the things that historically we've been called upon as a country, which is to help keep, you know, the, the, the world's waterways safe for everybody. Ross, we have about one minute left, and we would be remiss not to get to this important question. It comes from the mass logistician, and it says, who would win in a 100-meter freestyle, Sal Mercagliano or John Conrad Five? Throw them in the pool who's winning. Throw them in the pool who's winning? I think... Uh, I think John would probably take the early lead, but but Sal's got that sort of quiet man uh, energy there. I think he'll find a way to uh, to sabotage John halfway through and and uh, come out ahead in that race. I, I I am with him. I see Sal almost pulling like a Popeye style thing where he pulls like a pipe out of his pocket midway and uses Absolutely. it a motorboat, and he's just cruising through the water. I don't know. I see him as a hot tub guy. Uh, a hot tub? Oh, just just with a hot tub. <laughs> yeah, big, 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 some, big some vino in a hot tub. Some is how I see stuff. Stuff. Ross, you've been a pleasure to be with today. People who are want to follow you on Twitter, they want to get into your stuff. Where do I send them to? Uh, on Twitter, they can find me at man underscore integrated, and uh, my primary uh, output of content that's not there is at uh, fortisanalysis.substack.com. Are uh, you gonna go dunk on someone on Twitter now? Now that uh, you're off uh, with us. I, I have never done that, and uh, frankly, it would be beneath me. <laughs> okay, man. Well, take it easy. Enjoy the Huntsman on Twitter. Have a good one. Hopefully, we all get through this, and the NWO doesn't destroy us all. Take care, sir. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on the show. Find yeah. me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. That's D-O-O-N-E-R. We got him at Michael Vincent, the dude. Before you go to, go to live.freightwaves.com, right? Oh, yeah. What do you want to get? Experience. You want to get tickets to May 9th to 10th. Oh, oh, yeah. You definitely want to do that. Big coming out party. We almost forgot to mention that. Twelve ninety five until March Madness is over. It's the future supply chain over in northwest Arkansas. We're we can't there. wait. We've, uh, we've been waiting for these types of events to get back for a couple years now. That's right, man. We've Couple been practicing our hog call. 
Tigers are ready to get out of the cage. Oh, yeah, pig suey. Well, that's a great thing about there, too. Anytime you want a cheap pop when you're at this event, just ask one of these locals to do that hog call. The, the woo! Pig suey! Now go to live. Not for waves. Not net. Get them tickets. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Just look up What the Truck. Don't be a stranger and tell them how to be, Michael Vincent. Hey, peace and love. Spread it everywhere. <laughs>